0: If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac, or drop a crispy fry between the car seats, or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba At participating McDonald's.
1: Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly.
2: We've been here for three days, we died
1: The much less reported African stuck at the border of a violent invasion and one refugee's tale of racism and resilience. And the WNBA's most dominant center is locked up abroad. Will Brittany Griner's release from Russia's reigns come quickly and at what cost? Then who is the first black female justice headed to the highest court? And does Ketanji Brown Jackson have a special responsibility to black America? It's not about one person and her job. It's about my people.
3: In the black hair therapy crisis, we get to the root of the issue that's stressing out hairstylists and barbers. When we're in the chair or not in the chair, we're having these conversations about our mental health. Plus, Medea is officially out of retirement. Hallelujah! Our one-on-one with Tyler Perry. And Riri and Rocky take over Fashion Week as her baby bump steals the spotlight.
4: And Rihanna, one year please.
3: All that and
1: more as the Black News revolution starts right now. Hey everyone, I'm Naima Abdullahi. We kick things off as we head overseas for a deeper look at the Russian-Ukraine conflict and the crisis facing Africans caught in the crosshairs. Now, their struggle to cross the border to safety is tonight's top story. Go. Let us go! Let us go! Let us go!
0: We are not allowing any black people to enter inside the
1: Russia's invasion of Ukraine
3: we are today, we are, dying, we
1: are dying of is casting a shadow on Africans fleeing the country we
2: here for three days,
1: we of viral moments of thousands fleeing for safety has pulled at the heartstrings of the world as tensions intensify unfolding on social media
5: the whole
6: discrimination was mostly from the law enforcement. Um, our officials.
1: Alexander Somto is a Nigerian student who fled Ukraine. He told Revolt Black News that he experienced discrimination during his 500 plus mile journey to Berlin.
6: When we protested against it, I started telling them that if they are going to do this, they should know that this is a war crime. I wasn't expecting them to be discriminating against um, those that are not looking like them.
1: The emotional scenes playing out as hundreds seek answers and help. Well, it's been a very chaotic situation
0: for Nigerians. We're looking at about 7,600 Nigerians and more than 5,600 students. So for us, we're dealing with very young people that went in search of education and most of them are medical students. So it's been very traumatic. It's been very chaotic.
1: Nigeria's Special Advisor to the President on Diaspora Affairs, Abike Dabiri Arewa, is helping to bridge the gap to find solutions.
0: The President um, immediately gave his full support to have them back home.
1: On the ground, Jeffrey Kawazi is the project manager for Each One Teach One, helping students like Alexander bus to Berlin.
0: In terms of my organization, it's been um, uh, around 250 people. They have come to us with more coming every day, actually every night also, because we're there 24 hours um, working in shifts in order to be able to receive people. So most of the people, I would say most of the black people coming to Berlin, the vast majority um, are going through our organization.
1: Going the extra mile to save lives. Nigeria's president stepping in to help students escape the ongoing violent invasion.
2: Let us be orderly.
1: You are great Nigerians. You are back home. We do not have anything to be afraid of anymore.
7: You're all welcome.
1: It's hard to remove myself from this story because I know what it's like to be a refugee, an African refugee. The war in Somalia left my family displaced, and we found our refuge in Kenya before we moved to the United States. So when I see these images, I SEE MYSELF. AND THE REFUGEE CONTROVERSY IS SOMETHING WE'VE DEALT WITH EVEN WITHIN THE U.S. BORDERS TOO. REMEMBER HURRICANE KATRINA?
2: SO MANY OF THESE PEOPLE, ALMOST ALL OF THEM THAT WE SEE ARE SO POOR AND THEY ARE SO black. And this is going to raise lots of questions.
1: Victims in New Orleans were labeled as refugees. Now, they might have been seeking refuge, but they were evacuees and flood victims who were citizens of the United States, meaning they could rightfully relocate anywhere in America. But what really surfaced was the connotation of refugee for a majority black city with a high concentration of poverty. Part of the problem is also how the crisis is being covered with explicit and implicit bias. Take a listen.
0: This isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen.
1: Now to call one group of refugees civil leaves an assumption that typical refugees are uncivil. I remember
5: they punched a certain black guy, a policeman in Ukraine, He a certain black guy for nothing. He was shocked for nothing. Yes. So like I said earlier on, they consider white people before considering black people. We pray this crisis does
1: not claim any more lives and that everyone in Ukraine can safely escape the invasion, something everyone deserves. And if we all answer this call to be humanitarians, let's also remember the root word, to be human first.
0: Seven-time WNBA All-Star and two-time
3: Olympic gold medalist Brittany Greiner is in Russian custody.
1: As tensions mount in Ukraine, so are concerns for WNBA star Brittany Griner. The Phoenix Mercury Center is entangled in controversy and currently detained after Russian customs officials reportedly found hash oil in her luggage. Here to join me virtually for an interview in Italy, Shay Kelly, player for Fila San Martino women's basketball. Now, we're seeing all the support pouring in for Brittany right now. Thank you so much for joining us. What's going through your mind as you're seeing everything?
7: I'm really terrified for her. Um, you know, it's it's very concerning just being overseas. You know, we're usually by ourselves. You're so far away from support, from family. Um, so being arrested in a in another country has to be, you know, terrifying. So my my thoughts and prayers are with her and I hope that things get resolved. I know we don't have a lot of information on it, but It's just, you know, it's really scary. Many
1: people were shocked by the time they heard about Brittany's situation that she was already detained for several weeks. What's your reaction to that?
7: That's mind blowing to me when I, it kind of hit social media and they said in February. So obviously she had been detained for weeks before anyone even knew. Um, And that's kind of the whole thing with the social media. If we didn't have that, we didn't even know that she was detained or anything was going on with her. Obviously I'm sure her team, and people close to her knew, but no one else knew. And I, and I think that's such a huge thing because imagine if this was an NBA player or um, someone overseas playing, I think it would have been blown up a lot more. And I think that it, sh- it should be because we don't really know the details about what's going on um, with her to, to the full extent.
1: Can you give us an insight as to who Brittany is? We're seeing her in the headlines right now, but we also want to capture her accomplishments and what she really represents to the basketball league.
7: She's one of the best centers in the league, um, you know. So she she brings so much to the game, dunking the basketball, you know. Just just her presence on the court and just her, you know, her her heart. My some of my friends know her personally. She's really a big icon for the WNBA. Um, so just having that impact on the league and then having this happen, I think, you know, it's it kind of hits home because it's someone that you've you played with, someone you've been around, so just knowing what she's going through, um, it's, it's really disheartening.
1: Take us through that mindset of it being so scary. You're in a foreign country, it operates differently, it's, it has its own set of rules. Like, tell us what the mindset is when you go from your homeland to another place just to chase your dreams.
7: Um, well, for for women, unfortunately, this is where we make our money playing basketball. So it's it's kind of we're forced to to come over here and do this if we want to get paid um, better than we do in in the states. So just just coming overseas and you have to be tough mentally. Um, like you said, we're so so far from family and we're we're far from our friends. So it's it can be difficult. You feel alone at times. So it's just you know it's it's really just mentally can be exhausting when you when when you're so far from home
1: has it crossed your mind in the last few weeks like maybe it's time for me to go back home like just to take a break from everything has that thought crossed your mind
7: um not not this year so much in italy um things have been you know okay here but i was in israel last year um and and they were shooting i had literally left like two days before they started launching rockets um into israel so that's something that you know.
0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Bada ba ba.
7: Terrifies me because I had teammates there. They had to go into um to the bunkers, and so that's something that you know you do think about your safety when you're in these situations. Shay, thank you so much for adding context to this
8: conversation,
1: for providing awareness to what's going on and what athletes go through overseas, and we're going to continue praying for Brittany for her safe release, Um, and we appreciate your time.
7: Thanks for having me.
1: We'll be right back. Coming up, we explore the sanctity of the salon and why some say it's the new therapy for black men and women.
0: Junior. There are unwritten rules in the barbershop. And the first rule is you never switch chairs. Am I right? Yeah, right. The barbershop was built on loyalty. That's how it became the cornerstone of the community. Am
1: I right? True. True. Yeah, you're right? A scene out of Blackish and the sacred spot for many Black men and women, the magic shop. Over time, barbers and hairstylists have become somewhat like therapists to their clients in the Black community. Here to talk about the hairstylist roles in Black men's and emotional health, entrepreneur and barber Stefan, a.k.a. Step the Barber, hairstylist and beauty influencer C. Scott, also known as Main Doll, licensed therapist Amber D., and our very own Kennedy Rue getting to the root of the discussion. Thank you all for joining us today. A new law in Tennessee is now requiring hairstylists to know the signs of domestic violence by taking a one-hour free training. What do you think about this law that's happening and how it ties in with the experience that you notice in salons and bar Barbershop,
4: Stefan. I just wonder how, when you make something a law, Mm. typically there is a penalty. uh, And so I'm just wondering how responsible barbers and hairstylists will become in the situation where maybe they don't notice the signs and it's not reported. Um, It's an incredible amount of responsibility to be placed on someone that may not know the specifics and the ins and outs. But on the other hand, I do understand how important it is to. Uh, if you see something say something you can help save a life so there's a little bit of you know the yin and yang when it comes to that situation It's very touchy
1: and see, scott for you you're there to provide a service you're also listening how yes. do you balance between the two as a hairstylist
5: well me and my clients have developed a relationship so it's more like a sisterhood so to his point i do i do agree with it like it's like it can be heavy to have to have that responsibility on you but um, when you do have that relationship with your clients or it's like that's something that you you will notice or you hope not to look past.
4: Being a barber specializing in women's short hair um, women come in and get their hair cut for all types of reasons they could be dealing with alopecia um, but one of the most recent situations there was a woman who wanted to get her get her hair cut by me um, and she said she was tired of her husband using her hair as a weapon against her mm-hmm. and she spoke about how he would, drag her around the house by her hair. Um, and so I had to step out of the, my position as a barber at that moment and just ask her, you know, do you think that by cutting your hair that this is something that could further anger him? Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to the Tennessee law, just asking the question, what responsibility do I bear then? Do I have to report this? Or even family getting too much involved in it, can become dangerous to that family member. We're not even talking about a hairstylist or someone like that, so. I
5: think I was maybe like 18 and I had a client who, she told me that coming to get her hair done was her only escape. And she was like, my boyfriend actually beats on me and he only allows me to go outside rather to take the kids to the bus stop or for me to go get my hair done, but I have to come right back in after that. And that was like, wow. Like I didn't even, I would have never known, so. It can be a big responsibility, but with it being so much of a sisterhood and me loving my clients the way that I do, I just
3: try to be there.
9: Mm. What about you?
3: Absolutely. I mean, I think black women, our relationship with our hair is so nuanced Mm. in a way where um, other people can't really understand the depths of that relationship. Sometimes there's adoration and love for our hair. Sometimes there's resentment and frustration when it comes to our hair. So I think just dealing with the range of that emotions attached to our hair and not really having that weight on your shoulders anymore was a huge impetus behind why I cut mine off.
1: Stefan, you specialize in short haircuts. What is that emotional journey like for women as they're sitting in that chair?
4: Well, it's funny because um, sometimes they're scared. Mm. Sometimes they're excited. Uh, all the time they're nervous, mm-hmm. uh, but what I've What I found myself doing lately is making them a part of the process versus just sitting in the chair and me doing the entire cut, Um, whether they're cutting locks or long, beautiful tresses, I just grab a section, I hand them the shears, and I let them do the first cut. And the expression on their face when they do it, I'm allowing them to free themselves Mm -hmm. from this. And, um, so
1: you turned it into an experience.
4: Right. Yes. And so yeah. um, I've seen everything from laughs to tears. Oh, uh, I keep yeah. a box of tissue right there yeah. at my station just in case.
9: I love that you guys are sharing this information. You're easy to access. Most of us typically go get our hair done or going to the barber or things like that. And so just by simply asking those questions uh how are you doing? Or is it okay? Do you think this is safe? It's a great opportunity to see kind of like what's going on. I do think that it is a lot on you to bear that to have to like be mandated reporters. Mm. But I also kind of understand you're on the front line. I think it's like 11% of blacks don't even have insurance. So we understand that therapy and mental health can kind of be expensive, you know, coming to see a therapist, maybe 100 150 dollars a lot of people don't have that so mm. i can go into the barber get my hair done you know and talk about my problems But at a certain point, you do have to say, "Okay, this is beyond me. I think that you should reach out to have some type of resources.
3: Right. No, absolutely. And I think that in our community, we have done so well at portraying an image that everything is fine, whether that be the truth or not. So I think that there is power and vulnerability in those moments that we share with our hairstylists, with our barbers, um, if we don't have a therapist. So I think that the more we talk about it, the more comfortable we get with having these tough conversations, Mm -hmm. the more we normalize being vulnerable and opening ourselves up to this sort of thing.
1: According to uh, Behind the Chair, one in five hairstylists suffer from anxiety disorder. Are hairstylists equipped to handle their clients' mental and emotional dilemmas, and how can this impact their mental well-being
9: as well? I think that as a stylist, you know, you know your zone of genius, right? You didn't go to school to be a therapist. You're not trained. So I think that, like I said, it is a great you're the first line of defense, but once you hear those things, being able to give those resources um, to your clients and being able to say, hey, I experienced something like that before, or I know someone that experienced like that before, and here are resources that I can give you that can possibly help you in that same situation. Like the girl you said, that was the only time that she got a chance to get out was to get her hair done. You may be the only person that even can help
5: her get, th- get
9: those resources.
1: What about you? How same does it impact him. your mental health and what do you
5: do? Um, sometimes I do get anxiety. Some, some clients have gave me some slight anxiety. Getting off, I definitely want to just ride home and complete silence. And then I do, I do do yoga. So I'm really practicing resting and taking care of myself. As a therapist, I have to see a therapist because seeing clients is heavy. Right. Um, but I'm
9: trained in that. I think it's super important for you as hairstylists and barbers to be able to have a, a safe place for for you to uh, unpack all of that that you just had to endure yourself because it's a lot I think that it's about the
3: stigma attached to being vulnerable yes. and I think I highly that agree I highly agree it's yes. it's so true and I think it's so much easier to open up to relate to a friend a peer somebody on your level where you feel like they can understand you as opposed to somebody you feel like is maybe judging you mm-hmm. or Doesn't somebody share. you feel doesn't share, or yeah. maybe you feel like someone's diagnosing you, right. but conversations like this are so necessary, especially on this platform, mm-hmm. because we should be having these conversations with, with one another as well as a therapist.
1: Data from the American Psychiatric Association shows that only 2% of psychiatrists and 4% of psychologists are black. So when we look at the comfort level of you know, a person of color saying, I feel more comfortable pouring myself to my hairstylist than a therapist. Kind of tell us about where those boundaries lie with resources that are out there where they can talk to someone who looks just like
9: them. So you have resources like mine. You have uh, resources like Black Female therapists, uh, Loveland Foundation that are paying for therapy for you. So you don't even have to go through, you know, you don't have to worry about how do I pay for it. We have resources now that are paying, that are giving access to people that low-income people or even not because i mean you can have a job and 150 dollars a session is a lot it adds up you know every time
4: so therapy sometimes i look at it like instructions Uh, sometimes they go back everybody loves mcdonald's fries
0: so yes you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home um but the bag did feel a little light
4: i can see your childhood your past and help you work through some of those things because those things kind of help shape who we are today Mm -hmm. Um, so just giving you some different tools techniques different ways to look at situations um, conflict resolution all of those different things just great great tools and uh, for people who think they don't need it I would say find a therapist that may do a free session for you the first one Um, and just you'd be surprised you'd be surprised
3: it's so necessary that when we're in the chair or not in the chair, we're having these conversations about our mental health, about what our actual realities look like, so we can do something about them.
1: Stefan, C. Scott, Kennedy, Amber D., Thank you all for being here and for sharing your thoughts. All right, when we come back, Kennedy brings us the entertainment headlines that has y'all talking. That's next.
3: Welcome back to Revolt Black News Weekly. As we catch up with the stars who are making headlines from Zoe's perfect rendition of Catwoman to Rihanna's fashion forward road to motherhood, it's time for your weekly entertainment remix. Rihanna, the fashion killer, is right. Yeah. And Rihanna, ma one
4: year please, thank you.
3: Draped in sheer black, the fabulously fenty mom-to-be was a rock star at Paris Fashion Week. Proudly showing off her growing baby bump, Ri and ASAP are expecting their first child together, which is due in a few months. And equally as fashionable and pretty in pink, Zendaya was draped in head to toe fuchsia for her latest stylish outing in the City of Lights taking in the Valentino show during Paris Fashion Week.
10: Th- sing, like
3: f- Those are fighting words from inside the Gucci Mane versus NBA Youngboy beef. Here's how this one breaks down. Youngboy basically posted a diss track coming for Gucci Mane and a number of hip hop artists, including his reported nemesis Lil Durk. Word is, Durk is rumored to be collaborating with Gucci.
0: I think he mad at me.
3: That did not sit well with Gucci Mane, who came back swinging with this response track, Publicity Stunt. Why you
4: this publicity, is you in the streets or in the Is you my fan or my enemy? My money too grown to be kidding with-
3: Can't we all just get along shaking my head? (laughs) Hip Hop for Peace Town Hall was the place to be in Los Angeles. Hip Hop artists and activists from Snoop to Black China were on hand for a call to action, bringing together the largest gathering of hip hop artists in recent years, community leaders, and elected officials to address the recent spike in gun violence in hip hop culture and call for peace. The event was held on March 9th to honor and celebrate the accomplishments of notorious B.I.G.
6: when I think about Biggie or Tupac, I think, damn, we lost some great voices that were going to lead us into a proper direction through the vehicle of hip-hop.
4: He had so much more to do, so much more to create as an artist, as an entertainer, um, uh, as a rapper, as a hip-hop icon. How you doing, Yang?
3: Kanye and his so-called Kim clone? Social media was going nuts after Ye was snapped grabbing the assets of his new flame, Cheney Jones, who's been kind of disrespectfully tagged as Kim Kardashian's lookalike. What do y'all think? Hit us up on Insta, Facebook, and Snap. The theme of the film is eerily on point for the times that we're living in right now. And I
9: mean, you know, I know it's a complicated time, but I really, really, really hope that people are able to go see
3: it in the cinemas. Nice ring. Kravitz the Catwoman? Zoe taking a page out of Halle Berry's playbook, rocking the clinging suit in the Batman, which is still topping the box office. Who are you under there? Zoe, who stars with Robert Pattinson, is also reaping the benefits of sweet revenge, opening up about being rejected for the 2015 Batman incarnation, The Dark Knight, because of her skin tone, telling The Observer... Being an actor and being told at that time that I wasn't able to read because of the color of my skin and the word urban being thrown around like that, that was what was really hard about that moment. The Zoe train is not stopping anytime soon. She'll take the reins to host SNL.
0: The Lord God Almighty, Mm -hmm. he can turn watcher into wine. Yes, he can. I got to go to the liquor store to get mine. Won't somebody praise him?
3: (laughs) She's back. Tyler Perry brings Medea out of retirement for a Medea homecoming, which is still trending hot on
0: Netflix. Hallelujah! Yes. Uh, hallel- hallel- yes.
4: Hallelujah! I wanted to make people laugh, and you know, my next thing to make people laugh will probably be a Joe movie, so we'll see.
3: And we wanted to take a moment to remember comedian Johnny Brown who provided so many classic moments as the beloved building superintendent Nathan Bookman on the 70s comedy Good Times. His character was such a beloved part of the culture. Janet Jackson, who co-starred as abused child Penny Woods paid tribute on Twitter writing, such loving memories of our time together. You were so full of laughter and forever smiling. Always so sweet and so kind to me. I will love you and miss you. Johnny passed away at the age of 84 last week. We'll be right back.
8: It's my honor to introduce to the country the distinguished jurist, Judge Katanji Jackson.
1: President Joe Biden making the case for his pick to serve on the highest court in the land. Welcome back. Later this month, the president's nominee for the Supreme Court will face confirmation hearings. And if confirmed, Ketanji Brown Jackson will become the first black female jurist to serve on the nation's highest court. So as we celebrate Women's History Month, just who is this nominee and will she have a special responsibility to black Americans who have suffered the greatest injustices in this country? The United States of America is the
6: greatest beacon of hope and democracy the world has ever known.
10: She has served at about three different levels of the judiciary. She's been a federal defender. She's worked on the United States Sentencing Commission, was a former clerk herself. Double IV, if that matters to you. This is someone with incredible credentials.
6: Thank you, Senator. Let me just say that my uh, training
2: was similar to yours. I've always kind of existed in predominantly white spaces, so I've had to constantly show up as different versions of myself. And to be honest with you, I feel I feel bad for me <laughs> because, like, in a way, like, I have been desensitized. When learning about this nation's history, it never dawned on me, like, oh, like, there could be a black Supreme Court justice one day. And not that I didn't think it was possible, but I guess just because of the way things always were, I never really thought about it.
0: When you look at the reason why President Biden nominated a Black woman to the Supreme Court. You have to go back to the campaign trail. We are putting together a list of a group of African-American women. He had a whole series of problems and issues concerning his record with the Black community. So it was always a political ploy to get Black votes. I think President Biden selected Judge Jackson because he felt that she would be the easiest one to get confirmed.
6: Thank you very much, Mr. President. I am. Truly humbled
0: by the extraordinary honor of this nomination. Someone who doesn't have a, a long paper trail, doesn't have a lot of controversial opinions, but that does not mean, however, that Republicans should not examine her record. We should, they should, because that's exactly what they're supposed to do in the Senate's role of advice and consent.
10: Ronald Reagan was very open about the fact that
0: he wanted to put a woman on, on the
10: court, and he did. Donald Trump was very open about the fact that he wanted to put a woman on the court. Saying, I want to have diversity on the court is typical. Joe Biden said that he wanted that. And indeed, that's what happened. We are ready to let our senators know we want this to be a fair process. I don't want to hear about what happened in another nomination process. I want to talk about this judge and what's going to happen to her.
0: If Judge Jackson went to a party, I don't care. I don't think most people care. If Judge Jackson dated someone, you know, as long as, you know, that's not something that's relevant. President Obama was the uh, head of the Harvard Law Review that gave the foundation of the basis for his legal uh, perspective on things. And so what classes did you take? Did you have certain experiences shape your legal philosophy? Did you work at a law firm that specialized in this or that? And if there's nothing there, let her answer that and explain it to the to the Senate.
10: Every nominee where the person was a woman of color have really faced extra scrutiny. Um, you know people making nasty comments about them trying to say that they're not qualified highlighting small things trying to make bigger things of them really i think um selling
0: the American. if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a big mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your mcdonald's bag as a placemat then that wasn't a road trip it was just a really long drive Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's, taking people short,
10: thinking that they can be tricked, but we're prepared for that. Black women all over this nation, within the legal profession, with outside of the legal profession, we are prepared. Down to your churches, we know we will not always agree with everything that she says or does because that's the case with any. Justice.
0: I think it's unfair for the community, the culture to put um, undue burdens on black people in office uh, because they want them to do certain things that their job does not in- call for them to do. I worked for four years in the White House for President George W. Bush. And uh, at that time, Condoleezza Rice was the secretary of state. Many people in the, in the black press would be very critical of Secretary Rice. Her issues that she was supposed to deal with on a daily basis were global issues, issues of national security and a humanitarian crisis across the the whole world. Now, it didn't mean that she didn't have an opinion, things that she thought based upon her worldview, being a a, a black woman born in the segregated South uh, and grew up in Alabama and had a very uh, close history with the civil rights movement growing up. So she would give that private consultation to the president of the United States when he asked. That's why representation is important. That's why I think that there's an an adage I heard some years back that says if you're uh, not at the table, you're on the menu. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States.
2: As much as it might be intimidating at first to show up in these spaces, I think it's important because it kind of showcases who you are and you want to show up as your true self, so that not only are you accepted by your colleagues, but in some ways, it impacts how you how you move and how you exist, um, and not just to people in your office, but,
10: I mean, sometimes, like, to your community. I know that there's a viewpoint, especially amongst young people, that they keep voting, they keep coming out, and yet they don't see results. And so, yes, I can understand people feeling like it's not getting done. But give it time and go out and vote in the midterms. If you don't like it, you know you, what you gotta do. You have to create greater margins for whatever party you are supporting. But you do have to vote.
1: And to discuss the significance of Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's nomination and the unique responsibility of black political officials within the culture, we have attorney and law school coach Jasmine Robinson, political contributor and host of Straight Shot No Chaser podcast Teslin Figuero, and Newsweek contributor and business consultant Denise Long. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us. First off, let's discuss the significance of the nomination itself. If confirmed, Judge Jackson. would be the first black woman and the first former public defender to serve on the highest court in the land. What could that mean for the perspective of the court?
6: I myself personally uh, am ecstatic about having a public defender, even more so uh, than just a black woman and being proud about being a black woman. I'm very much interested in the actual core of her her record. All of these things uh, will be discussed in great detail uh, during her
1: confirmation uh, hearing. BEING IN THE SPOTLIGHT MEANS THAT HER PAST DECISIONS ARE COMING TO LIGHT. A RACIAL DISCRIMINATION CASE AGAINST THE FIRM LOCKHEED MARTIN, um, WHICH DENIED VICTIMS A $22 MILLION PAYOUT AND HAS BEEN CRITICIZED FOR UPHOLDING
8: THE STATUS QUO AT THE EXPENSE OF PEOPLE OF COLOR. I THINK IT'S REALLY IMPORTANT FOR FOLKS TO KNOW THAT THIS WAS A CLASS ACTION SETTLEMENT, WHICH MEANS THAT THE BUSINESS, LOCKHEED MARTIN, HAD GONE THROUGH THE PROCESS AND THEY DECIDED THAT IT WAS BEST TO SETTLE. What they needed Judge Jackson to do was to certify the class as well as the settlement. What she instead chose to do is to unilaterally litigate uh, the settlement and apply her own preferences and druthers to it. The reality is it may have been unfair to her, but the people who brought the claim deemed it fair enough to bring it to the court to have it addressed. So it's a, it was an injustice in many ways for her to make that decision, and it baffles me to this day.
1: What about you, Jasmine?
11: You know, there is the conversation about the Lockheed case. You know, if you really dive into it, she had to make a decision as a judge. And it was, again, it was a procedural decision. And it's like, before we even understand the case, it's just, oh, she ain't for black people. Again, we're talking about one case out of all her records. I see it all the time on my social media. Anytime I hype, hype up a black woman specifically, it's automatically, well, everybody, that's your skin folk ain't your kin folk. Why is that the automatic notion? again we're talking about one case out of all her records so
6: Counselor, that's where you give the
11: information
6: you you educate them on it you say you don't like her i'm going to tell you why it's important to have a first first time public offender we need to be in the in the 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 discipline of asking
1: these questions and denise you wanted to also jump in as well yeah so
8: in regard to the lockheed martin case many folks myself included read front to back her judgment in her own words of what she did. I went and consulted several lawyers who handle class action lawsuits. And what they said is that she did a thing that she did not have to do. So my concern there was the extent to which this person takes an academic, this is how I think it should be, approach to legal matters which affect people's quality of life and well-being. And many attorneys. Uh, and judges, would say the same thing. When it comes to the unique
1: responsibility of Black politicians, do they bear the responsibility of walking the walk in all those needs? Is that
8: realistic? Yeah, so being an elected official is pressure-driven. And anyone who seeks that role needs to understand that and be equipped to manage it, whatever your role. So while one might say that you're not the uh, president of Black people or the VP for Black people, the reality is you are. You're for Black people and. And so one has to find a way, a language, right, to hook the needs of Black Americans into the needs of larger America and speak truth to power. And if you're making sense, you're making sense. And the people who want to hear sense-making in America and get away from the polarization of our population, which I think is the vast majority of people, regardless of race, they will see the truth in what you speak. So it's a choice in many ways, a potentially costly choice, but what has selling out gotten us so far?
1: And in situations where those needs are not met, does it create an apathy in politics and voting, Teslin?
6: Absolutely, it does. There's something called voter depression, uh, where people have apathy, where they feel they have given up. So when you look at this year, and you look at the policies that were clear and asked uh, of this administration delivering directly to black people. Let me follow up exactly on what Denise said. Uh, Joe Biden said, quote, unquote, black people, I owe you. Uh, He did not talk about black
1: and brown. He did not talk about everyone else. He clearly said black people, I owe you. When it comes to this historic nomination, what pressure comes with that when it comes to meeting or falling short of those expectations? I wanna go to you first. The pressure that's put on the black woman,
11: it, it kinda annoys me, if I'm being honest with you. I just wish the pressure, I'm not saying we shouldn't have pressure. Everyone should be held to a standard. A lot of the issues we're debating right now, from civil rights to abortion rights, why are we still here? I feel as if, if we put the same pressure on a lot of other mediocre folks, we would have been a
1: lot farther. Denise, do you want to respond to that as well?
8: Yeah, absolutely. So There are ways that we imagine Black women bring a unique lens to whatever problem they are solving, whatever solution they are developing, right? That is the point of diversity. It's not just the presence of Blackness. You know, I think one of the things that we need to do as Black people is to move in all political spaces, meaning that I move toward the policies that make the most moral, ethical, social, political sense to me. So uh, we need to be in all spaces, and we need to... uh, rid ourselves of the idea that we need to be married to the Democrats because they've delivered very little in return for that relationship.
1: What do you say to the criticism that leaders have to put uh, the white majority at ease to get things done, Teslin?
6: This is not any new criticism, not even about criticism, it's just flat out facts. Uh, we saw President Biden uh, be very clear in the State of the Union saying fund them, fund them, fund them, uh, when just last year I was in the room when he called the George Floyd family and volunteered a promise to be able to pass uh, the George Justice and Policing Act. So it's that type of hoodwink, bamboozle, and switch, bait and switch, uh, that we continue to see that, yes, uh, like we talked about earlier, this generation has
1: noticed uh, the difference. Do you feel it's more difficult for any political figure, Democrat or Republican, to make meaningful changes for Black Americans, given our history in this country that other special groups that are also marginalized may not go through?
8: Yeah. So I think there are some ways that Black Americans have given up our self-advocacy, we have advocated for every group. It's not to say that those things aren't important, that they're not real lived experience, but they are not the lived experience of the people who built this country, whose bones are buried in its soil. So there are some ways in which we have to make it clear that there is a unique Black experience and we want to claim it, including SCOTUS and its decision on affirmative action and what they need to land on there. So uh, it's not difficult as much as maybe they're even confused by what it is we even want because we have been confused thus far. So we need to get clear so they can get clear. Thank you ladies
1: for being here for your perspective, your political insight, and also for your honesty. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It is time to highlight our revolutionary of the week and the work of Illinois Representative Bobby Rush, the man who made it his mission to see the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill pass. And this week, it became a reality. The Senate unanimously passed the law late Monday in this divisive political climate. That means all 100 senators agreed to it. This comes after a stunning, at least 200 efforts to pass some version of this bill over the past 100 years. Representative Rush spearheaded the final Push for the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill, and on March 8th, the Senate passed the act, finally designating lynching as a federal hate crime.
4: If there's no further debate, questions on passage of the bill. All in favor, say aye. 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 All opposed, say no. The Ayes appear to have it. The ayes do have it. The bill is passed. Congratulations.
7: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President, and thank you to all of our colleagues. The bill is
1: named for the black teenager who was lynched in Mississippi back in 1955 and will head to
3: President Joe Biden's desk for signature. Yes, Naima, job well done, Representative Rush, for your revolutionary work. That does it for us. Don't forget to subscribe to the Revolt Black News YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Snap for all the latest. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time.